You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast that explores the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. Like and follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter at TheBatmanBC to get up to date on new episodes, upcoming episodes, and future giveaways. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lauer underscore Ryan, Lauer spelled like lower. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network hosted by Batman on Film. You can also write to the Batman Book Club for questions, comments, concerns, or anything Batman-related at all at thebatmanbc at gmail.com. And lastly, please take 30 seconds out of your time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. The link is in the description of this. More ratings, more reviews help spread the word, and the word is panic. Now, as you can see in the episode title, you know that we are going on a trip today to Arkham Asylum. A serious house on serious earth. I can't do that alone because I would go as crazy as Amadeus Arkham. So I brought in, I brought in the big cheese. You have heard him on Straight Out of Gotham. Pete Vera introduces the legend of Long Island himself. His name is Eric Holzman. Welcome back, Eric Holzman. What's going on, Ryan? Uh, crazy, crazy stuff. At the time of this recording. Uh, I am back in Chicago, in downtown Chicago, and uh, the world's on fire. So it's very appropriate that we are going to the asylum because you and I feel like we are in the asylum. So let's just let's get messed up. Let's do yeah, this. no, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we we had discussed uh, the, um, discussing this book for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've gone back and forth about it, and I think even when I did the Long Halloween, I even mentioned that I like this book. So. It's good to be back. It's also good to see how far you've come since then. Uh, I was one of the first people who recorded with you, and you know it's been a it's been a pretty cool couple months. Seeing that I get to edit some of them too, I you know I do, I do some of the editing, the bad ones. That's all me, guys. If any bad editing, that's me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So I guess I should say that too. That if for some some reason somebody here is listening. And they have not listened to the long Halloween episode. That was episode number two. That episode had Eric Holzman on for the first time. I was just a I was just a boy then. Now I'm a podcasting <laughs> man. And we've we've said then that uh, you help you and I both uh, pass back and forth um, editing duties uh, yes. for this for this show because you are a gracious fellow. And since since then you have started your own podcast straight out of gotham you guys are up and running you're getting podbean yes. badges every single yes. day <laughs> you're changing the landscape of podcasting you and peter vera who's also been on this show uh you guys are you guys are bringing some good stuff and yes i need to repeat always that if there's any issue with audio send emails <laughs> to eric holzman on twitter at finale 33 anyways yes uh, find me there find Fine. him there um we can talk more straight out of Gotham, maybe towards the end of the show. But I want to ask you because you've picked your favorite Batman book. 
Yes. You've been on here before. So yes. go back and listen to episode two if you haven't yet. Yes. I want to ask, have you read any other, been reading any other Batman books aside from the one we're about to talk about? I haven't except the complete definitive history that I got. I started reading some. Yes. So I started reading some of that because I, just, I literally just got it last week, as you know. Mm-hmm. So I started reading. I'm um, just delving into that a little bit. Uh, the inserts in that are, are just amazing. I love I want to take them all out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, it's it kind of destroys the what's it called of the book? The um, quality of the book, I guess. So but yeah. no, I've I've just started to do that a little bit. Uh, peer into it and uh, begin reading it. So I don't know if that one could be if you ever have reviewed that one, that could take like three or four shows because <laughs> that could be a, that'd be a series. That'd yeah, be that's a, a series. very that's a very, very big book with lots of information. So. Yeah, so it's the Batman, the definitive history of the Dark Knight yes. comics, etc., etc. Like the title's so long that it yep. it ends in an ellipsis. It can't even fit the whole title on the internet. It's written by Andrew Farrago, who I've interviewed for the book before. He's a really cool guy, and he's so smart. And that book, it serves as a a historical book. It also serves as a dumbbell to work out. It also serves as a coffee table. I mean, it's, it's got it all. And one of the inserts in there though, is actually like my favorite, I think is in the back and it's Bob Kane's proposal for what the Batman 89 movie should have been. And he wrote it in 1986, the ego on that man to tell (laughs) Warner brothers, I've got the Batman movie planned out. This is what it should be like. It should be, it should be dark and something like, you know, et cetera. And then you, I don't know if you've gotten to the part to read that yet. I read it. And I mean, it's like, Bob, you really thought this was the dark version that you're going for? Cause it's very, it's got like fifties and sixties, like sprinkled all over that thing. But it's a, it's a fun read. It's a catch. Yeah, it's a good read. It was the first thing that I, I went and took out. Cause I, you're, you're in the very, you know, you, when you get a book, you usually thumb through it real quick and then you get to the mm-hmm. back. And you're like, I'm like, what is this? And I took it out. And it even has the letter that he wrote to. <laughs> like, it has that letter. And I'm reading the letter. And I'm like, okay. Uh, pretty ballsy. <laughs> but, yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, I guess if you, if you, you know, you created, quote unquote, you created the the character, you're going to feel yeah. that your interpretation is the best one, whatever it is. So, but um, I'm looking forward to re- doing, getting more involved in the rest of the stuff. I, there's even a part and. Sorry, Pete Vera, but there's even a part in the book on Gotham. Yeah, uh, his favorite, right? <laughs> right, That's his, his favorite. Because I was when I was talking with you too, I saw that I'm like, oh, they even include Gotham. So, uh, yeah, it literally is a definitive history. Like, I can say that as a forward by Michael Keaton. Uh, definitely, definitely, guys. If you get a, if you don't have it yet, and you're a big Batman fan, you de- it's definitely something you need. You definitely something you should grab. Amazon keeps throwing that book on like a bargain, a bargain sale. Because the book is massive and it was initially like $75 and then yeah. they kind of go all over the place on, hey, now it's 63. Hey, now it's 45. Hey, it's 40 today. Hey, it's 45 again. And it's like that book, it's it's worth every dollar. So yep. hallelujah. But let's move on. Eric and I, we've, let's see, we've uh, lit up a fatty. We've eaten some shrooms. We've taken <laughs> shots of absinthe. We're ready to enter the mind of the Grant Morrison and his yes. trippy 1989 book, Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth. Now, really quick, released in 1989, written by Grant Morrison, art by Dave McKean, 
it's been, many versions of paperback and hardcover have come out right when the book came out and then you know it's 15 year anniversary a 30 year absolute edition which is the version that i'm reading it's available digitally uh it was initially going to be 48 pages i can't imagine them trying to throw grant morrison's mind in 48 pages so that got extended to a 100 page story uh eric which which version do you have of this book i have the 25th anniversary edition well done of it yes well i done I, I received as a gift the initial, the original hardcover. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then I never I never saw a reason that I needed to you know get the 15 year anniversary. Although the later versions they were they'd included like the scripts, uh, which sometimes I can be I'm intrigued by. I'm like, oh sure, I'll do that to read the script. And then when they did the absolute edition, they actually carried the absolute edition pretty cheap for an absolute. And I'm like, sure, I've got money. I love just throwing money at Batman stuff. Let's do this. And it included the script and some more like another uh, in the back written stuff by yes. Morrison. And I'm like, this could really, I think I bought this when I had the idea of the Batman book club. And I'm like, I think this would become a really good asset for if anybody, if anybody comes on, if some fool picks this story and wants <laughs> to talk about it for an episode, I'm going to really dive into this. And I'm actually, I'm very excited after somebody's on for the first time, or after somebody's on any time, I asked them at the end of when we're done recording of like, Hey, uh, I liked it. You want to come back? If so, let me know what kind of book. And you kind of didn't hesitate. And you were like, I'd want to do Arkham Asylum. So way back at the end of recording for the long Halloween, you said you wanted this book. And I'm like, Oh baby. <laughs> oh baby. Cause I've never gotten to really discuss this book with somebody so what made you choose this book uh i remember i actually remember when it first came out and at the Mm -hmm. time i was 12 years old uh so i remember (laughs) yes i remember i was prime age prime age for this book you know (laughs) so i remember i was telling i've always been interested in like horror and things like that even as a little kid like i always loved nightmare on elm street Mm -hmm. um, all those types of films obviously friday friday the 13th and I remember just seeing the initial cover and I'm like, oh, wow, it looks kind of spooky. Like it's a different kind of story. Yeah. So um, obviously I, my, at the time, my parents were like, no, you can't read that. It's too adult for you. So I didn't, I didn't actually read it the first time until probably I think I was uh, in high school. I think it was the first time I actually read it was when I was in high school. And I was like, oh, man, I'm like, this thing is unlike any other Batman comic I've read. Um, and so I was intrigued by it i remember discussing it with a couple of my friends at the time and uh i kept saying wow this would make a really good film and i still believe that i believe this would be a, a tremendous uh, live action movie and uh yeah so when uh, you asked me that when i first when we first started talking about it, i was gonna say arkham asylum before the long halloween i like mm-hmm. the long halloween a little better but uh i was gonna say that then and then, so that's why it was very easy for me to say when you were done, if you want to come back, why do you, what do you want to discuss? And Arkham Asylum was the next one on my list. So I just really, really like it. It's very different. It taps into a lot of psychological themes and I, the human mind is very interesting, period. It, so if, in writing this, you also get a sense of well, who the, how, what the writer's about. And as we know, Grant Morrison has gone, gone on to do other things that you kind of like, why? He's a little out there. <laughs> <laughs> So oh, you're so polite. 
<laughs> a little out there. He's a little, a little out, out there. there, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that was why. It's just the the themes and the tones of the book really have always intrigued me, even from uh, when I was a, a young young kid. So, excellent. So you said you remember that was your first time reading. I think I was, oh yeah, I'd probably say I was around 12 too. Man, that explains a lot about you and I. We were 12 <laughs> when we read this. Uh, but it was my my uncle. He was, when I was younger, he was my my definite, my influence of of comics. And I remember he had this on his, on his shelf with some other Batman stories. And that's instantly what I would always flock to is his Batman section, his hashtag bat shelf. And I grabbed this one and I read it in one sitting. And I think at 12, I was done. And that might've been the first time I, I dropped the F bomb in front of him. And I said, <laughs> what the F was that? But there was something about it that I did like though. Even if I didn't understand, I understood the, the beats through of Batman goes into Arkham, which has been taken over by the Joker and the villains are loose. And Batman is going through Arkham and then at the end, Joker lets him out. And he and I always distinctly remembered what it, you know, what he said at at the uh at the end about how, you know, the asylum's out there. And it's mm-hmm. like he's always got a place here. And that that always stuck with me, even from that age. Cause I just kind of thought like that was a pretty that's just an interesting line. I don't know what it is about that, but it it's just kind of cool to me. I think it kind of hits a little on you know, obviously psychology of the characters, but then also just taking a, a look at the world. I right. mean, hello this year. Like, Yeah, no. It's, it, yeah. An asylum can almost feel kind of safe and comfortable. And I knew as, and this might be like weird to even say, but somebody I know that had been arrested a few times, not for anything like major, you know, it was like a uh, drunken public or, you know, something like that. Right, right. But there was they'd had problems at home and they didn't have stability at home. And that's what they said of at jail. I know I've got someplace to sleep and I am going to like get food and water. Yep. There's a weird yeah. comfort in that. And I think there's just something with that line at the end of, of this book. Look, and I know that's not what it was exactly looking at. But I'm like, there's I don't know. There's a lot of relation there. A lot of things that I'm like, hmm, there's a connection here in some point. Yeah, no, it's it's like structure right inside somewhere you have structure you you know you have yeah. things you're not left to your own devices and that's basically what that line means to me obviously yes batman does all these things but you know because of what happened and he he feels he you know it's his job now to, to make sure it doesn't happen to anybody else mm-hmm. but you know he's also trapped in his own mind right he's he it's he's doing no normal person would do this Right. Yeah. No normal person would put themselves through this. So that's kind of what the Joker's saying. Like, yeah, out there you're left to your own and, you know, and, and your own crazy mind and yeah. you don't have any structure and there's nothing there to keep you, hold you back except your own um, conscious and psyche. And so, yeah, I think that specific line also, it's one I always remember too, because you're right. It's very, it's very allegorical to what's going on with in the world today. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also what, uh, how Grant Morrison sees himself and that he has an asylum in his head and he likes to open up the doors and uh, start writing for stories. So I don't let's let's hit, let's hit him first. Cause the story was his idea. He'd proposed to DC a mature, it was his first Batman writing assignment. He'd proposed the story to DC and 
he initially wanted Brian Ballen to be the artist. Yep. Because he didn't let's see, what was the actual quote? I oh I had it pulled up, but it was it wasn't being disrespectful of Dave McKean. It's just like it didn't hit the notes of like realistic horror that uh Morrison felt Ballen could. And I didn't know that until just this this time and rereading it and looking up information about the book online. Right. But Morrison's uh story itself, I've never really been under able to understand like almost exactly like what the hell he's going for. He's given the Amadeus Arkham flashbacks have always been interesting. And I do get the general idea of that one. Of mm-hmm. He's kind of a bit of a, a, a loose cannon himself. Uh, and there's something like the, the house itself can is haunted, but yes. I read the script this time, the, the first time ever. And I got to say, after reading the script, I think the the confusion in the story is definitely in the art because Morrison's script actually is pretty, pretty clear. I mean, this is Grant Morrison before Grant Morrison was Grant Morrison. Yeah. But it's pretty clear what he's kind of striving for and what he wanted. And then to flip from that from certain script pages to the art, it, it to me, it's messy. And it gets kind of yeah like, muddy, and I'm like, I don't under like I didn't get that from this page at all. Yeah, I think I more I'm I think I remember the quote he used of saying McKean about McKean's art that it it doesn't have the most terrifying um, expressions of real, mm-hmm. I guess what's really happening. Yeah. Um, and he I know he wanted um Balin because of the Killing Joke, and he said that that was a little bit more in line with how, what he was writing and how he wanted the, the art to look. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's true. If you do, the script is very, very much, uh, very, very graphic, much more in depth, mm-hmm. obviously, than what we get in the actual comic. And then when you go back and you look, there are some things where you're kind of like, yeah, I don't know if that really matches or it could have been, it could have been much, much, I don't want to say worse, but much, much more uh-huh. detailed, I guess, is the best way to put it. So. Well, there's there's even a few like villains that I don't know. He gives a description of how to draw, or not. He doesn't give a description. Of how to draw. He kind of give you know he sets the scene yes, for McKean right. to draw, and then I'm like, right. I honestly I didn't know what villain that was. I've never known until now through reading the script. Like one connection is I don't know which villain it is that's sitting and watching TV towards the beginning when Norman Bates is on the screen. Um, I don't remember which film that is, but they, we only see like the, almost like a one panel. Yeah. You, you turn the page and it's the one shot in psycho with Norman Bates at the end when they're explaining everything. And in the caption says mother, Oh God, mother. And then the next panel is whichever villain that is on the TV. And that's all we get. Well, in the script, it kind of like, it doesn't make that out of nowhere. It makes it kind of have a point. Like, uh, he's, I, I wish I could just like open it and figure out which guy that is, but he's not, he's not the a, an A-lister or anything, but uh, the script has, it's like, he's in the background while Joker's talking and maybe there's a comment from him. And then the next panel is closer to him. And then it's a TV and it's connecting to the whole Amadeus and his mom and his, you know, mother it's connecting links that way. And here in the book, it's just like one panel out of nowhere. And I think that, 
for me, that's that's kind of what's kept this book from being top tier for me. Mm-hmm. Blasphemy, Ryan! You don't know Batman <laughs> comics. Fan card revoked. Well, well no, obviously, I mean, something with the story it, it connects, and I like it because I keep I have it and I reread it, and there are elements that I really enjoy. It's just I just. No offense, Dave McKean. I know he's going to give me a zero star review on the show, <laughs> but well, I do think the art holds it back some. Well, yeah. Well, the the writer agrees, so you're not if the writer. If the writer agrees with you, <laughs> then you're not. I think you're okay. I don't think you're, you know, going to get oh too much flack for that. But no, Dave, there you- there is yeah. There obviously, and this is this happens a lot of times. Maybe uh it happens a lot of times in film like you have a script and then you edit the script and then it changes things so maybe the drawings he was doing that uh changing things because he had limitations or maybe they were you know they wanted to keep it in a certain on a certain uh certain page limit or whatever and they just didn't want to maybe he had those kinds of things and he couldn't uh do exactly what the script said or 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 make it exactly like the script reads so it's it's i don't know i'm just speculating but I do, I do agree with you that the script is much, much more uh, graphic and in depth at certain parts than than the book actually um, highlights. The drawing, the art actually highlights. Yeah, I think his uh, he's heavily relying on. Okay, I'm not going to let Morrison off the hook, though. Okay, I'm not going to say that he wrote an A plus script, no faults, because <laughs> I re- still read the script and I said, "What the hell are you even talking about here?" But he's heavily relying on like religious allegories for sure Mm -hmm. and some of it just go completely over my head some of it i kind of get but i'm not relating some of it's like oh i understand the reference but what are you trying to say here with the book and then he uses like tarot cards uh as references and stuff too and it's to me i'm kind of like okay you are well educated obviously nobody would ever debate that you're like that you're smart because you are but just because you referenced a lot of things and somebody can look at this book and pick up on references, does that make it, does that automatically make it a good story? You know? And a lot of that, like, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's even some movies now where, okay, I'm going to use one of your favorite movies of all time, Batman vs Superman as an example. And, <laughs> Zack Snyder, his when he did like a commentary for it, uh, was it beginning of this year? This year has lasted like a decade. I don't. And it might have been. I have no idea. It might have been. He he did the com the Vero watch along. I think right. And, and he commented on all these like yeah, this to symbolize. I don't have fresh examples, but it was like this symbolized this, this symbolized that, this symbolized that, and to where it's like, okay, you did that, but does that automatically mean that like oh, this is a this is like the greatest moment in the movie, you know, just mm-hmm. because you reference something doesn't mean that it gets to just be put as the greatest of all time. So you think he's trying to show off his knowledge more than tell a story. Is that what you're, what you're saying here? I think I needed help wording it. So yeah, I think that, <laughs> and I'm not distinctly saying for just like Zack Snyder, it's just a freshest example, but I think that applies for Morrison a little bit here because he's bringing up, tarot cards but i'm not connecting it to the story per se i'm like okay so why why do we have sorry dave mckean why do we have this ugly drawing of a tarot well, card and it's not well, it's not clicking with me or he's using in the script he's describing something that has a religious uh 
tone to it or aspect from religion or, um, you know, like the fish symbol that's, yes, you know, as in the Bible and for Jesus to see and stuff. And like, it doesn't, okay, yeah, 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 that's fine. I'm not saying anything bad about that, but I'm not connecting it to what you're trying to say about it. Well, I th- I know with the tarot and the tarot cards, I know that was part of the two-faced angle of how, um, what's her name? Adams. What's her first mm-hmm. name? Ruth. Ruth Adams is, uh, she's trying to get him off having to use the coin, right? So he's trying to get him off having the, the coin being how he makes decisions. So she gives him a six-sided die and then a tarot deck. And then she's trying to wean him off to, so that he doesn't have to use anything and he can make up his own mind. Mm-hmm. The flip, well, we know what happens is it makes him completely like a vegetable because he, <laughs> he like becomes so confused he can't even talk. So he kind of goes, you know. So um, I think the symbolism with the, these specific things is all of this stuff, tarot cards and, and um, flipping of a coin, they're all crutches in some form. And I think the, the relationship for that is and if in the bigger scope in the book, if you think about it, is the villains are Batman's crutch, right? That's how mm-hmm. he survives and how he lives. That's his mission. So those are his crutches. And then when if you take them away, if you start taking that stuff away and you left him to his, what he'd probably be like Two-Face in this state where he's not, um, you know, he can't speak really. He can't come up with his own thoughts. He, you know, sounds more like a caveman at that point. So I think that's how I interpreted that, at least that stuff. Uh, the religious stuff, I have a hard time relating as well. Uh, I was trying to think. I mean, obviously, anytime you have a story about uh, stuff like this where, where death's involved, and there's always a religious element in death, I think. So I think that's uh, with the flashbacks, obviously, with his mother and with, with um, I'm sorry, Amadeus Arkham's mother and her slowly losing like her mind. And then he, he sees with the 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 bugs coming out and then the bat symbolism and you know those are idols right and gods or whatever to people like that so maybe that's the religious angle he was throwing at or kind of throwing his he's throwing um his you know whatever disdain for religion i don't know grant marson i don't know if he's religious or not but maybe that's what he's trying to convey in this book Uh, and again but it it kind of reinforces your point too that he's trying to show off how smart he is and not being on the nose in a book, which probably needed more of that because this book can be left open to uh, various different forms of interpretation. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I kind of agree with you on the religious stuff in the most, for the most part, I think that it's, it's kind of out of place in here. If, and if you're not religious at all, it might be completely out of place for the person reading it. Yeah. Well, take, for example, he places a lot a high level of importance on, St. Michael fighting the dragon in the statue of St. Michael. Yes. Now, literally, sometimes I do like ideas uh, just to get you thinking and I can relate of like, oh, I do like connecting this and this. But a lot of times I'm like a literal connection in which having the St. Michael story being told while Batman is fighting Killer Croc in the story makes sense to me. You yeah. know, like there's an an obvious connection, but that's not the only time it's referenced. And Amadeus, even in the flashbacks, is placing high importance on the St. Michael statue that he's putting in at the asylum. Uh, and I just like that's another part, too, where I'm like. 
I get with Batman fighting the dragon, but is what's Morrison trying to say about the story here with, with Arkham itself? Like, is Arkham seeing himself as the saint and all these in the idea of, you know, like Mad Dog, the one who, who kills his family? <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. He's the dragon. Be spoilers and, here, guys. Yeah. And sorry, if you haven't learned that by now, uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's another zero star review. I am <laughs> I'm crashing and burning. It's been a fun run. It's been a fun run. But if the uh, the idea of like insanity is that the dragon that you're trying to fight off, you know? And maybe that's exactly what Morrison likes what I just said that I don't really know and I'm trying to figure out. Maybe that's the point in well, his story in all stories. I don't know. Do you know uh do you know what St. Michael the Archangel, do you know what like what his roles are in preach to me, Eric. <laughs> well, the, he, in I'm Catholic, I was raised Roman Catholic. So for us, he was, there's four main roles or offices or whatever you want to call them that he, or, that he holds one. The first is um, being the leader of the army of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's views that then he's a model for virtues of a spiritual warrior. And then the th- one, the third, um, and then also, sorry, within this first role is, he represents the conflict of against evil at from the battle within, which that to me, that part is what I think the symbolism for it in this book is that part. Uh, he symbolizes the conflict obviously against evil within, within people, within ourselves. And if you, when you read the book and then you see that statue, if you again know what the statue represents or it represents different things in different religions, but I'm just going based on mine. And if you know that, uh, then you can kind of make the connection there. Like you can kind of connect and say, okay, Michael represents the inner inner struggle we all have. Uh, he's also considered the angel of death uh, in my in Catholicism. So you know, like I said before, death is prominent in this book as well. Mm-hmm. So there are certain those are the certain images that if you do know what the character the statue means and what the Michael Archangel Saint Michael the Archangel represents you'd be able to pull that from from reading the story. And again, like you said before, going back to it's just Grant Morrison probably showing off. <laughs> yeah. Again. Well, see, yeah. like you explaining it more that way, I can make a little bit more connections in with the theme of the book and the the various roads he's traveling to 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 run parallels to like each other to connect to the idea of I don't know a lot of ideas so I can see that relation but also I don't think that necessarily means that it is oh well that makes this story one of the greatest of all time St. <laughs> Michael's in it and you know it's it it really connects to the state of uh, Amadeus Arkham's brain and Batman's brain and Commissioner Gordon's brain and Robin's brain, who Grant Morrison wanted in this, but got scrapped because McKean didn't want him in there. You know? Yeah, no, I mean, you're so right. I'm being harsh on the story. I told you, I like the book. I do like the book, obviously. No, no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, there is symbolism in this book and there are some symbols that if you don't know about them, the reader is going to get confused. And that's, that's, perfectly fine but i also think that's it's good to have books like this too because then maybe you will now go and say well i read about that what what does that really mean and then you know you go learn about michael say saint michael yeah or you learn and you learn then you look it up and you say oh you know now i know what this means and when you it, it 
cl- clarify the story for you. I mean, I do that all the time with movies. There's sometimes stuff for in movies and I'm reading, I'm like, or watching, I'm like, what the hell is that? And then I'll go look at them like, oh, okay. Sometimes while watching the movie, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> so I mean, it, you do, we do that stuff all the time. It just, it makes it, uh, you know, it's in a way educational. So mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. And then it becomes like a true test of, okay, I've, it was introduced to me in the movie or the book, in this case, in the in the book with some stuff. Okay, I researched it more, learned more about it. Now I'm going to reread the book. Then that's all almost like the, okay, we'll now give you a review. Now that you've done your, your research, did it connect with you, with you being in the know of certain aspects that you weren't aware of the first time around? Right. right. So uh, let's, let's hop over to Dave McKean and let's talk about his art. What... Do you, what do you just? What do you think about the art? Do you remember your first reaction to it? I remember a long time the, ago. I know. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember again. I just remember it being a little creepy for someone at that age, my, my age. Like, yeah, the art was very creepy, and especially how the writing too within the art, like the writing, the captions within it. Uh, you know, some look like blood and scratches, and obviously when they're scratching in the book, he writes in the scratching way. <laughs> so it's character scratching. He writes the scratching. Like it's very, it was very creepy at that age, and uh, I still think it is. Like obviously, I'm older now. I don't get creeped out by it, but yeah, I still you do. Think... <laughs> you can't lie put to it... me. <laughs> but the art, I understand. Um, like reading the part where Morrison said he wanted Bolland for the Killing Joke, and I think of that art, and then I think here. Uh, for me, I think McKean's art works better um, just because it does. The book, again, is psychological. It's It's got a creepy tone to it. And I think he draws very creepily. Like there's a lot of things are very silhouette. Um, nothing's v- too, too definitive. There's like nothing too solid that you see on the characters except the Joker. Uh, the Joker, you do see a little bit more definition, um, but he looks terrifying in the in the book i think did you know that he was supposed to originally have like like um be a cross dresser that was the original yeah Popeye, so yeah. that was yeah. he, <laughs> let's come back to that with morrison don't, okay don't forget about that cross dressing okay carry okay. on all right so yeah so no uh the art again i think it works for the story uh that's being told uh some of the picture the depictions of like the the uh what's it called maybe i don't know if they're hallucinations or just things that he's, they're seeing so well done so well drawn uh just kind of makes it, it ups the creepiness factor mm-hmm. so for me for me the art fits the book i don't know you know how do you what do you think i prefer just on an artist level of whatever i like Bolland's art period right like okay. more than mckean mckean's can be i think just like a sloppy mess and that's yeah, that's fair. I think that's this that's displayed throughout this throughout this book, I think, for sure. There that's are fair. just some panels that I'm just kinda like, I just don't really like this. And like I said, I didn't know the a certain panel was supposed to display this, which was like, like in the script. Mm-hmm. Like transition from yeah, from words to image. I'm like, I don't I just didn't get that. I don't really like that. It's hard to see this. But then he's got some other really good haunting images throughout like throughout the entire book like the especially like kicking it off i think of little amadeus walking up those those steps and that setting itself and then getting to his mom as beetles are falling out of her mouth like yes yeah that's some creepy shit 
Yeah. And yeah. the the pencil sketch drawing of yeah. Batman when he shows up in Gordon's office and then the the iconic image of Batman walking toward the asylum, which is which was a cover for the book in one of its yep. one of its printings, and uh, Mad Dog did the aftermath of going after Amadeus's wife and daughter, and the daughter's gruesome, like her head in the dollhouse, just staring out, and then more villains, like you said, Joker himself. Yeah, Joker is creepy AF, as the kids are saying, and. So yeah, he's got. It sounds like I'm just dogging on it, but I think like he's got a lot of really strong imagery that works for this book for sure. Very haunting. It's like it is a horror story on right. many elements. I just think it's it's also interrupted by just some some ugly art that to me isn't doesn't help strengthen the story. Instead, it kind of it's detracted from what. Morrison originally went for it because it's still after all these readings, it's still kind of it's muddy. And I'm like, ah oh, man, yes. his his original idea and script was clearer. I would have gotten more out of it, you know, on my whatever reading this was for it for me. It's tenth reading, eleven, I don't know. I would have gotten more out of it if the art was just a little bit more clear. That's definitely a fair criticism. I mean, there are times where you're where you're um, reading the book and you get lost. You're not sure which panel's next. <laughs> there are definitely times that does happen reading this one, and I'm just like, wait, oh, I missed that part. <laughs> and even now, even after reading it all these years, I still do that sometimes. Like that doesn't connect. So in that regard, yes, you are 100 percent correct. Um, it could have been, yeah, it could have been a lot neater uh, uh, than it is. But again, I, and I'll go back to the theme of the book that kind of goes along with the crazy nature of the book, of the psychological nature of the book, the crazy drawings and things going on all over the place. And yeah, yeah. So, so it's uh, not about it's not about my wants. It's what do you think with the story? It's like, well, yeah, like it's madness art, and the book is right. madness. So I guess that would work. But you go to the the two page spread of when Batman goes into the asylum with the Joker and. And it's supposed to be scripted of like a, you know, like the dinner party, but it's supposed to be like the madhouse is it's unleashed, but right. it's, it's kind of like the, the left side displays it. And then the right side has like the, you know, like the tarot cards and stuff. And I'm like, this is this like it, reading it. I envision it being so much cooler than what I get, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. And, no, and, and that could just be me and maybe it's my simple, I'm too simple minded or something. I don't know. I don't, I'm not good with abstract, but I'm just like, man, this, this page could have been like, knock your socks off, uh, digitally save it, screenshot it and make it a background. Instead, it's like, this is just ugly. I'm ready to turn the page. <laughs> so you're saying you're not a fan of like art, actual art. Like when someone looks at something and you're like, no, that's just a bunch of tin cans. And then they're like, no, do you see how the impression on the can shows the artist's anger? And that's not you. That gets lost on you. Is that what you're saying? Art is subjective, Eric. <laughs> art is subjective. But no, you you just abstract art and me are not friends. Yeah, yeah, you're right. No, we I agree. We go our separate ways. I cannot, I don't see, as you just said, tin cans and it's symbolizing. I'm like, no, you just grab garbage and put it together and somehow you're rich. 
I, well, I that I agree with. I don't know how people make money off of that, and how yeah. people the interpretation that that not to go off on an art tangent, even though we kind of are. But um, yeah, I agree with that. Art is connoisseurs, you know. <laughs> and McKean's but, art is much better than tin cans just thrown together. Yes, so let me throw yes, that out there. Yes. <laughs> yes, even though I get lost, we can get lost with McKean's art. We finally we find our way back with tin cans. Right. I never find my way back. No. So yeah, so I agree with you there. I agree with you there. Okay, well, good. All right, back to Morrison and right. uh, cross-dressing Joker. Yes. Uh-huh. His now the good thing about his his script included in the back is that there's annotations at the bottom with from Morrison, and I read those like two weeks ago, and I kind of forgot some of his really good ones. But he did say, "Okay, here we go." Okay, here's so here's Batman before we get to Joker. I'd also like to stress that the portrayal of Batman presented here is not definitive and is not necessarily how I would write the character otherwise. The repressed, armored, uncertain, and sexually frozen man in Arkham Asylum was intended as a critique of the 80s interpretation of Batman as violent, driven, and borderline psychopathic. Mm-hmm. Now, he says it m- multiple times later of... He imagines Batman of like sexually repressed and nobody would want to have sex with Batman. And he just puts like a really big influence on sex and Batman. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> I, I'll never tell anybody like you can't think certain things, but it's really like, why? Like, <laughs> why is that a hot topic for what you're trying to get across? Because I'm not kidding. And like, I'm not a straight, I mean, I'm a, I almost said I'm not a straight man. I'm a straight man. <laughs> but I didn't read this book at all and ever think about Batman being a sexually frozen man or the influence of sex with the story. And Morrison, even in this book, he doesn't comment on Batman, Batman being sexual, you know? And then that, that, that goes hand in hand with, uh, yeah. Joker initially wanting, like you said, it'd be like cross dressing and playing up the, Joker, this almost makes a little sense if you were to go a route, but it's it's totally unneeded in a Batman story of Batman almost being the, you know, the old school man's man. And he doesn't want any of that, like guys touching him or anything like that because of it's that uncomfortability. And Morrison wanted to have Joker be the one that likes to just like F with him on that on that aspect. And he wanted that to come across. And that kind of does make sense of like you take you take the sexuality behind it. Joker sees what bugs Batman and would just love to pick on him with whatever right. Batman hates. And so it's like that part does make sense. And so but the whole there's is is even a panel of Joker is supposed to be like grabbing Batman's ass. Yes. Yes. And yeah. I'm kinda like, I don't know. I'm not one to be like, hey, this is what you should have done instead. It's like, no, this is a story presented. What do you think? And I'm kind of like, that that just doesn't Oh, make come sense. on. Everyone's played grab ass in their life. Everyone has With done Batman? that. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think, like, he, the quote that you read, he's saying that it's a critique of how Batman was being written in and then the stories of the 80s. Yeah. Um, of the kind of what that like you said the traditional macho man kind of uh interpretation Mm -hmm. so i think he said he's kind of 
exposing that in for lack of a better term in this in um by by writing him this way and by uh portraying him this way and yeah that scene where joker's grabs batman's ass is one of those scenes where you're kind of like was that really necessary but when you when you read the quote now and you see that you're like okay i see what he's trying to do so i don't know i it's the cross-dressing joker thing that didn't happen because it was so he was supposed to be wearing like the that a bra cone bra whatever or yeah like madonna uh, yeah like madonna Madonna. yeah so he was supposed to be wearing things like that i mean obviously that didn't get put in the book and maybe because of the time it was written nowadays i think it would be in and no one would (laughs) no one would think twice but again this was the late 80s things were still we were still kind of uh young in that with our sexual mind back then so i don't know uh, why that was scrapped totally but you know, Madonna was doing it, so why couldn't the Joker? I don't. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> you know, Madonna's doing it, mommy. Why can't I? Yeah. So, like, he he definitely uh, he's definitely just. I think he's trying to kind of poke fun, a uh-huh. critique and poke fun. And I, I don't. I wouldn't read anything more into it than that. No, um, and the jo- to Joker to be the one to do that is the like perfect. To me, that's the only one that makes sense. Like, yeah. yeah, like you said, that that part is perfect, but the it almost seemed like the obsession of of bringing sexuality with Batman and stuff was kind of like, well, I didn't get any of that in the story, but okay. But while we're saying it, it's funny because one of the annotations, so that whole, so Joker puts his hand on him on his ass, says, "Loosen up, tight ass," and right. Batman says, "Take your filthy hands off me." Well, that page, one of the annotations, it says, "Millions of daytime television viewers were shown this page on BBC's Pebble Mill at one when Dave and I appeared with Adam West." who wasn't in the studio, they had a red flashing hotline phone so that he could join in from Los Angeles in 1989. It provoked the reaction from the presenter of, oh, he looks a bit creepy, dot, dot, dot. No shit, sister. <laughs> no, But that blows my mind on multiple levels, that they would have an artist, a comic book artist and author on a daytime talk show. Like... Well, that's it is England. Uh, it wasn't England, so you got to throw. Yeah, that in well, that's no true. offense. Okay. No offense to our English friends, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, they 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 are traditionally a lot less puritanical in their thinking than we are. So understand that part that they, that this was in England, uh, and I mean, uh, I'm glad that they brought they brought comic book talent onto a talk show. Like Seth Meyers is the only one who does that now. He's done it yep, a few times. And I'm like, mad yeah. respect because Seth Meyers is a comic book fan. But <laughs> then to have this story and how totally opposite of 60s Batman it is. And let's bring in the face of Batman 60s, <laughs> Adam West, to comment and talk about it. It's like, you talk about opposite ends of the spectrum. Like, I could not imagine Grant Morrison having a discussion with Adam West. <laughs> but it pro- it was probably a good discussion if they did have one. I could imagine it being a very good one. Uh, just because they're from different sides of the Batman spectrum, especially with this book and, of course, the campiness of the 66 show. So... I'm sure they had they had some laughs of when they were the show was on. I obviously I've never seen the that talk show, but I wonder. I would like to now. Uh, yeah. You know, see and see see what see how they what they went about and how Adam West always seems very, uh, you know, sorry for he he's always he seems to be very lighthearted about everything. Like you ever see him in interviews? He's obviously the other stuff he's done. Uh, you know, other shows he's done. He was on King of Queens for a while. He um an episode I remember where where um. What's his name? I'm forgetting his name now. 
Do you watch King of Queens? Doug Heffernan? No, not Doug. Uh, the friend. Spence. Spence. Oh, Spence Pat Oswalt. Yeah, Pat Oswalt. Spencer. He went to a comic convention and um, Batman was there. Adam West was going to be there, and he got he won this contest to go with Adam West, and then he was just he was deciding what to wear and stuff. It was it was weird, but he's done comedy shows like that. He was on Family Guy, like he's, you know, Adam West was always kind of poked fun at the him playing Batman anyway. So it would have been just interesting to see these two guys coming from different sides, where how that discussion would have gone and uh, what they said. But uh, yeah, that whole panel. Uh, with the Joker grabbing his ass and then him saying, get your filthy hands off me. And then the next line is, has Robin start or the boy wonder started shaving yet? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that, that whole conversation is just crazy. Uh, yeah. Crazy. Not, and what it implies, but uh, it's another one of the things in the book. Again, that's creepy, right? This whole mm-hmm. story is very creepy and that takes it even to a further creepy level, like hinting at pedophilia. And it's yeah. very, you know, and like the Mad Hatter much- in here, which I guess you could have, had that thought itself. So, the Mad Hatter Morrison really wanted to give across like a, a, a pedophilia vibe for sure. Yes. And I, that might be something where I didn't fully get that, but maybe that's where I thank Dave McKean for not, I don't know, not drawing like, Oh, I'm getting like bleh, sort of vibes with this, with the Mad Hatter. Not that the Mad Hatter looks like gorgeous or anything like that either. He looks disgusting. As does like all the villains. He looks like Leprechaun <laughs> in this. The move from the movie yeah. Leprechaun, right? I like Leprechaun. just watched Leprechaun for the first time <laughs> in like twenty years. Yeah. I watched Wark Davis as Leprechaun and what a hoot. Jennifer Aniston. Right yeah. before friends. Yep. Uh I'm trying to be fun to hit on anything else. The I mean, while you stick with that page, I think I really it's weird. I love before he gets in the goes in the asylum and when he leaves the asylum the most of the book actually and why why is that so i'm i'm skipping to the end when i'm i'm asking favorite parts uh it there's just something the exchange given the definite horror element of on the phone and the the joker doing like the screech scree and then Joker telling Batman on the phone of like the pencil and then eyes and she screams like that's such a horror element because it's the perfect display of what you don't see is scarier than what you do see. So your mind, if you think something's really messed up and but you didn't see it, then it's like, well, that's on you. That means you're effed up. And that explains everything about me. And that part to me is just really, really creepy. And then to for him to go to the asylum and greet it with Joker because Batman Joker dialogue needs to be like a plus material and always. I think Morrison nails that even in later on in his Batman R.I.P. I think his his Joker is fantastic in that too. And then at the at the very end, like I'd I'd mentioned of the whole, uh, you always have a you always have a place here. Um, let's see. Yep. Still, you can't say we didn't show you a good time. Enjoy yourself out there in the asylum. Just don't forget, if it ever gets too tough, there's always a place for you here. Like, that you can take uh, strictly as, like, literally, and it works. But then you can apply on the themes that it does, like, that that it does touch, and it works on a different level, too. And mm-hmm. that's that's a Batman-Joker relationship to me. That's something Joker would say to him. It 
it is looking into the psyche of Batman. It is a criticism of the world that we live in, even though this was 30 years ago and we have not evolved to better. We're just as messed up now, <laughs> maybe worse. Uh, yeah. Though that just really, that works for me. And that doesn't mean anything in between doesn't work for me. There's a lot that does work for me. And I think it's really good, but I think if we're skipping and I'm going first, so I'm breaking all my rules. I forgot how to host my own show. <laughs> no, go ahead. With, with Ryan with Ryan Haas. He had to remind me two or three different times what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, <laughs> I just need to give I need to hand the reins over to you. But no, no, no. It's fine. Usually yeah. the way that this is going, I'm supposed to ask you, but uh my favorite part, it's cheating because it isn't just one only. It is that right before and right after entering and exiting the asylum. The yeah, the my favorite probably is the before uh, when Commissioner Gordon's like, no, don't go in there. And he's like, no, I have to not only for them, but for kind of me to see if they're right about me. Yeah. Um, about how I and I think that's something that all of us, when we're ever wherever confronted with a fearful proposition or something where there's an unknown, we all think that like, what is this going to reflect on me if I do this? How is it going? You know, what does it say about me if I do this? Um and it's just something I think a lot of people can relate to that specific thing of being unsure of yourself, if, especially if you've been doing one thing for so long and then people critique you on it and then you're like, well, maybe they're right. And this is a test for me to see if they're right. Um, and that and then obviously what, what goes on from that point on when you're reading the rest of the book and then you do get to the end. Uh, he, of course, all the trials that he has while he's in Arkham. Uh, and then finally he comes out at the end and the, at the end, he doesn't leave it to himself. He leaves it again to someone to decide, okay, you know, you decide what happens to me. And he gives it to the guy who up to this point, we've learned has kind of lost his mind completely, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but he gives him his coin back right back again, Batman saving someone. Right. So he's giving Harvey his coin back, which is, which is peace for Harvey. It's what he knows. And then obviously we, what we learn is that he flipped it and he says you free, but it, it really, it came up on the scratchy side, which said he would have been killed. Mm -hmm. But but Harvey again made this decision to let him go. So like you have that whole uh, the same part, favorite parts of yours. The same like I agree with you there. They're my favorite parts as well. I also like a couple of the flashback scenes with um, with Amadeus Arkham going the uh -huh. stuff with his mother and and then with his daughter when he comes home to find them all dead and. Like there's certain parts of it that with the flashback scenes and then you just, of course, in the book, you're always relating them to Batman um, and how Batman found his parents, the Batman parents were killed. Like this is a lot of similarities there, too. Uh, so that's, those are other favorite panels. But the two ones we both discussed, the beginning and the end with Batman, those are also my favorite. Those are your favorite parts or panels? Well, they're my favorite parts and pan. I guess both. Yeah. Because I do like the cool. part. Well, I do like the panel where you see at the end where you see Batman giving, tossing the coin back to Two Face. Yeah, like he decides, and then because you see it, they they show from behind, and then all you do kind of see is the coin, and Batman's kind of the shady figure in the background. Uh huh. So I like that panel too. Cool. But if we're gonna talk favorite panels, it's definitely the one uh, where he's walking into the asylum, and yeah. then you see the Joker's face of the Joker next to him. Like that's. That's my favorite page, I guess, across panel would be my favorite one. I'm kind of split. So I, I really like the series of panels. I'm surprised that they don't use Scarecrow more in this. I think he could have added quite an element, but instead it's just a, a walking 
walking by, but that's a clear picture of it. It's kind of, it's a haunting image. Uh, I think McKean does really well. That's really good. But then, yeah, the, the beginning images of that whole pencil sketch inside Gordon's office. And then, like you said, him walking into the asylum. It's like, those are just, when I think of Arkham Asylum, the story, those are, those are what I imagine right away. So I'm kind of with you on that. And as you say, Two Faces Coin, what a trippy idea for a a licensed doctor to be like a man who needs to use that only that narrows it down to two dis, a yes or a no. Let's add yep. seventy eight options. Yep. Nothing can convince me that that would work. <laughs> <laughs> a guy can't can't choose yes or no, so he has to flip a coin. So now he's got 78 options that that just doesn't make any sense. And then I, I really like that as the end, uh, at the end that he made the decision himself and he went against the court. Right. People could say yeah. that, that went against the character, but I think it really worked. The only thing that Morrison failed on, but I guess he was ahead of the curve anyway, was that he didn't have Two-Face say like, just playing curtains. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe one day as an animated as an animated film, maybe. No, Which, yeah, like the. Good. I was gonna say, do you do you think this could ever turn into an animated film? Because there's no beating around the bush that this was such an influence on the arc, like the first Arkham Asylum game. Yes, and also, it also I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Christopher Nolan gave a copy of this to Heath Ledger to read. That's right. To for about to, um before he was going to obviously play the Joker that he played, and you can see some similarities between the the two uh, Joker characters. There are, there's some there. So, uh, but yeah, that's another thing uh, with his book. So, just a fun fact for people who didn't know. There you go. But can I see it being an animated film? Yes, I much prefer, like I said before, to be a live action film. That probably will never happen. But if we can get new mutants eventually in sometime in the next 20 years from Marvel, maybe we could maybe we could get one of these a similar type of spooky type of movie. Oh man. But no, I I think it could. Uh at DC does animation very well. Uh their anime most of their animated movies I do enjoy. So if they were gonna take this and wanted to do it in that kind of a a, a format, an animated format, I think it would work. I think uh, it could do always, something I, cool. Yeah, I always worry about um, those with, you know, because kids are drawn to animation, even though so many of their properties are not geared towards kids. But I always worry about that because kids sometimes will watch it like the let's be honest, the Batman and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing that we both like. That's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty tough stuff for kids to watch. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the certain scenes of that, you're like, oh, my God, this is Nickelodeon. (laughs) (laughs) They'd have to. They'd have to change the story for sure. And and I don't know. I don't know. That That's just tricky. If you're to do an influenced by, that's one thing. As some of these, you know, some of these animated movies are, are influenced by. But then to, then you'd have the criticism that, oh, you left out this, you didn't do this. And then maybe Morrison would see it and be like, you kind of, you know, you you took the name, but you kind of gutted the story itself and that could bother, you know? So I'd, I'd be down for it. Apparently, I don't know down this line, but you know, the rumored, it was rumored that Affleck script when he was going to do the solo Batman was supposed to be him in Arkham Asylum. Yep. Just a rumor. And I thought, Oh, that could be that, that simple 
concept of him in Arkham just running into all of his villains. That idea is awesome. I don't know how you can construct a whole movie around that animated live action, but yeah, that idea, because us as fans would get a good payoff of we get to see Batman and all of his villains. Like, cool. Those are always such great scenes in, in the animated series when he'd go to Arkham and yep. get poison Ivy on the one side, Harley Quinn on the other. And then you have two face flipping his coin and penguin. Like that's just such a cool element. So you had to do that. Something in some movie form, I think would be really cool. I, yeah. I didn't comment on, I do appreciate the, and I'm glad that I did get the absolute edition period. And I don't know if your version's different, but it was always the Joker's dialogue was so hard to read in my original hardcore, hardcore, (laughs) hardcover Freudian slip a couple times today. (laughs) And it was because in this book showed McKean wrote a little like a little text in the back, too. And he'd commented that somebody, for whatever reason, not his call outlined the Joker's red dialogue text with white. Yeah. And then it's so, it's not like so clear in this, but I can read it without taking a magnifying glass and be like, what is he saying here? And now this, the, this version, which is the 30th, they call the 30th anniversary edition is outlined in black instead of the white. And it's such a mass improvement. So I don't know if your version has. Mine has the white. Yours has the white. Yeah. And I mean, some of the words are harder to read, especially if, if the like it's more narrow of a of a stroke that he used there, like uh-huh. a narrower way to write it. Um, some of the words are harder to to read and decipher what they mean. But again, I, I keep going back to this, but the theme, that's the theme of the book. So I, yeah. if I have mine. I'm kind of like, all it right, it fits the experience. Yeah, yeah it kind of so. I'm, I'm supposed to not read what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like maybe i'm not supposed to maybe it's just i'm supposed to guess what these words are i don't know but yeah that's, that's yeah so that's the whole, that's a good point though that the some of it again we said before about the art some of it is can be confusing some of the times you can get lost in what's uh what you're actually reading uh and the writings in some of the instances doesn't help either but if if it, i'd like to see the black outline that might be better so, yeah, yeah. It's just, it was easier on the eyes for sure and so I, I don't have anything against other than just the fact of it was just easier to read. So there we go. So final thoughts on Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earths. Eric Holzman, go. Yeah, I guess just to reiterate that this uh, this book, it is considered one of the top five stories. Um and I, for me, it, it works again, but it's just, it's just because I like these kinds of things. I like psychological thrillers. I like things that, uh, some of them are to the long Halloween psychological thrillers, things that take you places and then, um, make you question things yourself. And I think this book does that. Uh, I also think that for the, when I think about the time it was written, um, back in the eighties, the late eighties, end of the cold war, things like that, that were going on. Um, it was very much. Uh, appropriate for the time because uh, there was a lot of unknown and a lot of scary and creepiness and things that people were going to confront for the first time. So also I think it it's place in, uh, I guess, graphic noveldom because <laughs> this wasn't, a, this wasn't a comic arc. This was written to be this. TM. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's your term. Eric yeah. Goldman. Graphic noveldom. <laughs> graphic noveldom. Um, 
is is right. I think it's one of the best stories. And again, you can argue on the art, but the story to me is 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 great. And I, it's a worthy read. If you guys haven't read it, I'm sure you have. It's one of the classic books. But if you haven't and you do like that kind of stuff, definitely give it a read. My rereading of it just totally depends on the mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that, okay, I want to spend some time reading, rereading it this time for this episode to talk with you to discuss and really read the script for the first time ever and the annotations and read some background information on the on the book and all that's really interesting. It's not going to be one if I'm just like, oh, I just want to like fun up or, you know, year one is a quick read. You know, it's four issues. It's not going in deep and uh, studying ideology and, and stuff like that. It's kind of a straight Batman story, Gordon story, stuff like that. So it just depends on the mood for me. I think that this, regardless of anybody's thoughts, their feelings towards the book. I think you have to recognize that. Yeah, it is a groundbreaking, I think a groundbreaking story. Uh, the, just like dark Knight returns was a groundbreaking story. in one, right. in one way, year one was groundbreaking in another way. Killing joke was in another way. This was also groundbreaking, but not in the, the same ways. It kind of expanded what you can, like what you can accomplish for a comic book. And it right. really helped that eighties era elevate the medium of like what what can be done in a comic book it's not which unfortunately is still people like to laugh and be like boom pow zam for comic books and it's like bitch please you haven't even looked at a comic book to see the variety it's not it's not one note and this definitely i think helped uh give that a a kick in the ass to to explore different ways of telling stories mature and and otherwise. And I think I do like the book. I know I sounded really harsh on McKean's art. I could have liked it more. Whereas before I would have said like, Oh, it's just, you know, I think Morrison is, I could like it more. A Pete of flesh out, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, actually in reading a script, I think I could like it more maybe if it was a different artist, but yep. it also in a weird way does fit the theme and the adventure of the story, the experience of the story. So it's a strong Batman outing. Um, it's got its place in, in the history of the character. It influenced the Arkham Asylum game and then that took off in its own world. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good book. It's not top five for me. Uh, I don't know if I would throw it in top 10, but if I had to do a list of important, then it would definitely crack the top 10 for me. Okay. So that's what I have to say about that. So Dave McKean, please give me two stars, <laughs> not zero. I can't afford that. I'd gotten my first four. I, I was, I was very pleased seeing that people were rating the show and giving it five stars. I'm like, that's very nice. That's very nice. I went, I went 10 rounds of five star reviews and then I got a four star. <laughs> I almost shut this thing down. Almost didn't even do this episode. It hurt. It damaged I told me. you, man. I told you this is this. Your podcast is one of the more. Uh, unique ones out there for me Bless um, you. in a way that I hadn't read. I hadn't listened to anyone before who just takes Batman comic books and talks about them with other people. Like obviously overwhelming, they do it in a broader sense, but you, yours is always one book and we discuss it. Uh-huh. And that's, that I think is, is great. Well, hey, and I, thanks. I'm glad to be a part of it in the small part that I have. I'm glad to be a part of it. Screwing up the audio. <laughs> You'll probably cut that comment out. No, (laughs) 
No, I'm 100% authentic. That's right. You are authentic. But let's, hey, that's a perfect transition. Let's, why don't you plug some stuff like Straight Out of oh. Gotham? Yes, yes. What? So, guys, <laughs> if you're interested in two guys from the New York area discussing Batman stuff, DC stuff, general movie knowledge, whatever, my, um, Pete chronicling my various feats across this Long Island, the place that I live, Long Island. Uh, check out Straight Outta Gotham. You can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, now on iHeartRadio as well, Stitcher, other places you find podcasts, of course, on Podbean as well, which is where we're hosted. Um, if you want to follow me directly, it's at Finally33. It's spelled Finale33 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you want to follow the pay- sorry the the show page on Twitter, it's at Straight OG, Straight underscore O underscore G. It's a fabulous show. Fabulous show. And Pete Vera, who has been on the show quite a few times and was just a couple episodes ago, he loves to just peel back the curtain on the life <laughs> of Eric Holzman. And he, he just provides such good nuggets about what you've accomplished uh, in I your try. life. And it's, it's I, pretty, it's incredible. I try, I'm, you know, I'm a humble person. I don't like talking about those things, but Pete seems to think the world needs to know. So it's, it's, it's okay. I'm okay with it. Yeah. People were impressed by Gandhi. Wait until you listen to the story of Eric Holzman. <laughs> well, I have things I could do walking on my hands. God, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unbelievable. So, Eric, thank you for choosing this, this book. Thank you for coming on again. You'll be on in the future. Uh, for the Batman BC, please follow on Twitter so that I can tell you when Eric's going to be back on at the Batman BC. You can follow me on Twitter at Lauer underscore Ryan. Lauer, spelled like lower. Write in for questions, comments, concerns at thebatmanbc at gmail.com. And we've already got some more in which another Q&A episode is probably coming not too far in the future. And like I, I mentioned, if you'd like to spare 30 seconds and just help rate and review the show, uh, the link is in the description of this episode, and it is much appreciated. So, for Eric Holzman, the legend himself, I'm Ryan Lauer, and until next time, read more Batman comics.